2: Hi, welcome to this free episode of Dunk Don. I'm Dan Feldman. This is the first live mailbag that Nate and Danny did. We hope you enjoy it, and if you want to participate in the next live mailbag, join Dunk Don Prime. You can sign up at dunkdon.supportingcast.fm.
3: That's fm
4: Welcome on to the first ever live mailbag on Dunk Don Prime here in the Discord. If you haven't listened to this before, this is just going to be us bringing people up to talk and answer questions like good old sports radio, maybe slightly better questions than you know 670, the score back in the day uh, in Chicago that I used to listen to as like a 14-year-old kid. I went on there one time. I asked about whether Robert Green should get more Time as the Bears running back. Oh, because he looked
5: really good as the third Isn't down back. It, is now the time that I should tell the story of when I got yelled at by Rick Barry before he became a sports writer?
4: Uh, actually, yeah, that's on the radio. I haven't heard this. This is great,
5: the, Rick Barry. Huh? He was he was surly. That's a surprise. Uh, huge huge surprise. So. Uh, I was I was actually when I was working for the four dealership in Marin and I was doing dealer trade. So I was taking cars all the way around and I happened to I think I was between drives or something like that. And I called in and you will love the nuance of this. So this is when that whole Carlos Boozer th- Carlos Boozer spurning the cabs to go to. the. Oh, Jazz yeah. Two,
4: 2004. Yeah. Wow. OK.
5: Yes. And so I called in and basically said, and remember, I had just gotten into basketball a few years before and was starting to learn the CBA. And I basically said, I don't think this is as much of a betrayal because it seems to me like the Cavs did it this way to try to save some money. And he basically called their bluff a little bit on it. And Rick Barry basically just yelled at me for about five minutes. Um, basically saying there was no loyalty in sports anymore, and it was people like me that were a part of it, and that was fun. Rick
4: Barry was saying there's no loyalty in sports. He switched between like the NBA and the APA like 97 times. <laughs> oh man,
5: I, I'm, I'm not provi- I'm not. I'm not commenting on the accuracy. It was something that happened. It has not affected the ability. I wrote about Rick Barry, of course, in my book on the history of the Warriors and everything else like that, but. It was, that was, I believe, my first talk radio experience. I I did, I actually was on sports talk radio a lot when I was younger. I would just call in at random moments in time to KNBR and then became a guest on KNBR years later, which all of them loved.
4: All right, let's get to veal piccata here, particularly because that sounds absolutely delicious right now. I'm starving. What do you got for us? is the first ever live mailbag caller on the Discord. Do we need to unmute them or can they unmute themselves? Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah. The, we there we go and of course okay, we, had, we had to do the can you hear me that's the that's the way live, <laughs> these live mailbags so have, have you uh ever been on like the spotify lives or is this your first time joining us here
0: uh, uh this is my first time um participating i uh i've listened to the last uh listened in for about 20 minutes or so on the last spotify but this is my first time uh uh getting on <laughs> awesome what do you got for us uh like um uh first of all i just want to thank you guys for all the great content. Um, I was wondering uh, uh, if you have any thoughts on a couple of rookies that I've been really impressed with. Um, Shaden Sharp and uh, Marjan Beauchamp. Um, uh, Shaden, uh, I know, uh, Nate, you are really high on, you know, prior to the draft and uh, he just jumps off the screen with his athleticism. And I love his, um, that sidestep three that he has from the right corner. Um, And then um, uh, Marjan Beauchamp over the last week or so has had a couple of nice games with the Bucs. I love his, Uh, defensive playmaking, and uh, he's showing flashes of what he can potentially develop into offensively in a couple different ways. So I just wanted to uh, see what you guys think.
4: Yeah, he was good last night. I didn't get a chance to catch up on uh, what he did last night yet, unfortunately. So I can't really say I've got much on Beauchamp yet. I mean, I think he's only played, uh, you know, he started these two games, only played 112 minutes. So I haven't really uh, focused in on him as much. I haven't even really focused in on the Bucks as much just because their team has kind of been the same team and and you know I looked at like their defense a little bit but I haven't I think this week I'll try to spend some more time on Milwaukee but I've kind of because I'm less curious about them since we kind of know all these players I haven't focused on them I probably watched them maybe the least of any team so far I would say so I got nothing to say for you on on Bochamp. Danny you uh you got anything
5: not yet. I mean, it's the problem that Nate and I run into where we're trying to focus on the representative samples first. And so like, if the Bucks are playing without Giannis, if they're if they're playing without, you know, a number of their different guys, and of course, Chris Middleton's missed the whole year, I'm not going to be watching them as much. And then eventually I'll do like consolidated film or something like that on some of those players. For Sharp, I have been very impressed. And you probably heard me say the phrase a lot over the years that for me... Rookie seasons, especially for guys who don't start, are primarily about flashes. And so what you're looking for are the athletic building blocks, the skill building blocks, the the mechanics of their jump shot. are they do they pop athletically? And for me, preliminarily, like Shaden Sharp is checking damn near all of those boxes. he his vertical is really impressive. The way he moves through space is really impressive. His jump shot is is looking pretty good to me. And so that's all positive. And, I haven't locked in as much on Sharp's defense yet, but that was a part of why I I mean it's funny. Nate was higher on Sharp than everyone. I was higher than Sharp on almost than almost everyone. And part of what pushed me into that direction was the idea that he could become defensively capable, if not even a like ideally a plus on the wing at some point. Maybe not on like the you know, like the Kawaiis of the world and whoever whoever the next Kawhi is. But and I, I want to lock in more to see how like, to see how he's been defensively for the Blazers, but the preliminary signs for me have been unambiguously positive. And
4: the most exciting thing about him to me is that they've actually been good when he's played, that he's been a positive player for them. And he's started and he, he's been in Chauncey Billets rotation ahead of even like so, Keon Johnson, who was there last year. Uh, so that's the, the thing that's been pretty exciting for me is that he's actually like helping them which i thought would never be the case uh you know some of, and obviously on film i mean the way he gets to his jump shot is ridiculous i mean some of these dunks where he's just like he's such a good cutter and alley-oop guy i mean he's almost like a center who's able to like the way he can finish inside he's still working on his finishing craft for sure there are a few times where he's just i'm gonna jump as high as i can i'll figure it out and that works a lot of the time, but if it's not a dunk, sometimes he can get bumped off a little bit, but I think he's going to get strong enough. The first step is, you know, it's not unbelievable. You know, that was the thing that the reason Danny wasn't as high on him as I was, and it was really part of why I was so high on him was there I wasn't that high on anyone else. Now, I think like Paolo has exceeded my expectations, even though I really liked him a lot too, had him in the same tier. So Paolo, if I were redrafting now, Paulo would be the clear number one, but I think Sharp. You know, either Sharp or Matherin would probably be number two for me at this point. And, you know, he's shooting the ball well from three. I'd like to see even more three-point attempts from him. Eventually, you know, there still are some of these long twos that are not great shots. I mean, there may be a time when that's really good. His handle wasn't as, as good as, isn't as good as I hoped it would be. But obviously, like, this athleticism, the fact that he's playing hard, that he's contributing actually to, like, playing good basketball so far this year... The shooting is as advertised. That's a huge thing, too. I mean, that was that was kind of my thought. I was just like, hey, this is an uncertain draft. The guy can really shoot, and he can really jump, uh, and he's got some pretty decent creativity. So, like, why isn't he the number one pick, right? That was kind of my thought there. And so Paulo has exceeded expectations a lot to me and, like, looks like one of the better number one picks early on, which I didn't really think about him originally. But, yeah, I think Sharp is right in that next group. Uh, anything else you wanted to say on, on him? any or are we uh um
5: yeah let, let's see if there's any follow up yeah yeah
4: absolutely
0: yeah it, um yeah I'd, uh, um there was a uh, the one play that just really blew my mind with sharp was i think it might have been against the lakers i forget but uh he was trailing uh, on a fast break and um, the the guy taken to the hoop got drew a foul and he threw the ball up in the air and Sharp had jumped kind of mistimed it but like he was j- jumped so high that he had to slam his arm into the backboard and duck his head to avoid going through the backboard and I was like oh my god he got called for goaltending because he hit the backboard and I was like this guy is just he can just sail.
4: Uh, but by, by the way, Villa Picata, I love that. Uh, are you a Chicago guy? Chicago accent? Or are you more, or a, a Upper Midwest uh, guy? N- Milwaukee, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. <laughs> all right, close, close enough yeah all right well so yeah you've seen a lot more of emotion it'll be good to good to lock it in I mean I didn't think he had a great summer league but he's he's had some nice games um all right that was a great start yeah. uh appreciate it. anything else or should we can we move on to uh
5: our next guest here Danny I think we can move on so Rumanizer, if you want to unmute yourself or we can unmute you
4: hey uh, hi how are you guys doing
5: great good to have you on
4: uh yeah it's nice uh so I've been kind of looking into the bizarre
3: th- uh, case of the Celtics' defense. I thought, like, with Rob out, it's probably because they can't, uh, like, have can't really protect
1: the rim. But it seems really weird. Like, the rim dif- rim defense is really, actually, quite good. But somehow, like, they can't force turnovers
3: and are, and their opponents are making a ton of mid rangers Like, I'm trying to figure out if it's just
5: noise or if there's that really something that they're not doing well or
4: yeah i think you know we watched their game against memphis and i thought they looked pretty good they're i think part of it too i, I expected that their defense would suffer with the likes of hauser and cornet out there statistically that hasn't been the case yeah I, I think probably the only thing i would be concerned about at this point is the lack of that defensive playmaking like you're talking about where i mean they're when they're switching everything they're not putting a ton of pressure on the opposition. And so, and the opposition is going to be isolating a lot and that doesn't necessarily lead to a lot of turnover. So maybe that's part of, what was their turnover forcing last year? It was like pretty good, right?
5: Yeah. They were 10th in the league, 14.3% of opponent possessions. That's down to 12.4, which is currently 29th in the NBA.
4: Yeah. I guess they didn't. I mean, other than smart, there isn't anyone who's like a great shark on that team. And I think smart is... He's easing into this season like he hasn't been at quite the same level to me. They've also, here's the thing too, Smart has really been, because of of Robert Williams being absent, they've really been using Smart on bigs a lot more. Like he hasn't been in that pressuring on the perimeter role. I think once Rob gets back, then they'll have guys getting over screens more. Conventional pick and roll defense, and you know that maybe could lead to forcing some more turnovers, or you know they get too deep against Rob and then panic and throw it out and, and take it away. Like I think they're just you noted the rim protection too. I think a lot of times defenses that protect the rim really well, that's going to correlate with forcing fewer turnovers. If you go back to those Bucks teams before they got Drew, or obviously Utah is the the biggest archetype of that with Rudy Gobert, and some of that's personnel based. But or like some of these defenses with Robin Lopez back in the day, uh, that really like the, the Blazers like wouldn't force turnovers, and when they played the very conservative like drop style with Nurkic, they never forced any turnovers. So I think there is they're protecting the rim a different way. But when you're very kind of conservative about, all right, let's just take away the most important real estate, then that's kind of antithetical to putting a lot of pressure on and forcing turnovers.
5: Something else I want to mention, and this kind of ties in with the original question, is that, so if you compare, like, something you can look at for those who have cleaning the glass, um, i I really like to look at this for a team in the early going, is kind of comparing certain elements to the previous season. You can do that on the, so like you can go to a team page and then go to the team stats, and then there are all all the filters that you can do for the whole league, you can actually do for that team historically. And so last year for the Celtics, They were, and this is a part that I thought was not going to continue, though their defense improved a lot over the years, that they gave up the second lowest three-point shooting percentage in the league last year. And so you expect some regression of the mean. They're around the league average this year. So that goes from 34 to 35, sorry, from 34.3 to 35.7. So that's something. And as as Rumanizer brought up, they are giving up an, an abnormally high percentage on all, like as... Clean the glass defines it all mid-range shots but if you want to say specifically long twos 41.1 field goal percentage to 49 and just i don't expect that to continue that that seems anomalous yeah and me. again too i
4: think it's a particularly anomalous i would say because the only way you're gonna say all right well this is a team that gives up a ton of mid-rangers that are open is you're playing that conservative drop scheme and kind of conceding the mid-range and trying to work the math problem you know like the nets under kenny atkinson did a lot of that for example or those blazers team where they're, you're just like running fancy free in the mid range and wide open and you have that shot whenever you want whereas this is actually like guys having to isolate uh, against people a lot of times is how those mid-rangers come about against the celtics so yeah i do expect that number to come down for sure all right that was a good hey, one thanks uh... yeah where, where where are you living by the way Rumenizer?
1: uh i'm in israel
4: oh nice okay sounds good i i've i only had a chance yeah, so of- it's
1: quite late here what'd you say <laughs> i said it's quite late here but oh yeah.
4: wow yeah i guess that's true huh yeah this is that's why i never talked to my uncle <laughs> well I, I i also he's uh he's he's very orthodox so it's uh it's hard to get him uh, especially on the weekends but uh yeah i love israel man I, I mean i've only gone once for my cousin's wedding the biggest surprise actually because it was the desert I was like shocked by this. Like the, your guys' produce is amazing there. That was like the, my biggest. Well, uh,
3: well, yeah. It's not everything is desert. Just uh, about half <laughs> is.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, no, no American would ever wrongly stereotypes uh, another country, right? That's that. <laughs> that doesn't happen Uh, yeah that's true all right thanks for thanks for having uh uh, taking the time to join us Uh, so late at night we appreciate it um dan you want to take one quickly from the chat here before we uh we bring in another caller
5: yeah we can do that um so the question let's do this one from logan bear uh could you see the jazz being a buyer at the deadline or come trade season how good would they have to be by then and possible yes likely no the re so basically to me what this has to go the way it has to go for Danny Ainge is that he feels their the foundation of players that he intends to be a part of the jazz moving forward is strong enough that they are going to not try to maximize their draft equity, you know, not go in that direction. And that's probably Lowry Markinen and Walker Kessler and potentially Jared Vanderbilt and Sexton and a few other guys. I mean I mean, and so if he thinks that's the foundation then i think we're we're maybe getting into some interesting stuff there but the other question is like well what are become because not being a seller and being a buyer are two different things is like are they really willing to dip into the war chest now and the reason why they might might is if nobody else is really buying but my instinct is that he's not going to be so in love with this young core that he thinks now like basically we're never going to dip like we're never going to do that and I think that the price to be a buyer, it's usually very high. I would be surprised if it was like super low this year.
4: I've thought of this team as somewhat similar to that 2019-20 OKC team that had Chris Paul. But then I thought about it more. And I was like, hmm, like it, there is the idea of like, OK, they're supposed to be tanking, uh, you know, but we thought and they thought they'd trade people away and they wouldn't be close to the playoffs. I think you and I both were like, no, we're going way over on this team in the, in the over-unders with OKC. We didn't go way over on the Jazz, but I think we both were over on them. But the difference is that this Jazz team has acquired some good young pieces, right? Like they got Markin in, they just got Colin Sexton. Um, You know, I I think those are the two, they they got Walker Kessler, who I think is actually going to be like helpful pretty early on here. Who else is like falls into that category for Utah? right now guys were like oh this guy is actually like a young piece who could be in theory around for a while beasley maybe he's got one more year on a team option
5: i mean they'll have bird rights on taylor horton tucker if they really like him okay they could do something there and jared Jared vanderbilt yeah absolutely
4: i I mean that's and this is the reason i make that distinction is these are players who not only are young but are good and that's the right. difference with that OKC team. Number one, they didn't even have any young guys other than Shea at that point. Like they've really had to build up. So to like, and these guys to me have shown enough to where you're not going to be getting like a top five pick anytime soon if you hold on to these guys unless they are injuries or something else. So what do you do now, right? I mean, I would say like because they're not going to just get rid of Lowry, Markin, I don't think I don't I don't know if they w- want to. Do, I don't think you can get rid of. I, you know, Jared Vanderbilt's maybe not as as exciting, but I mean, Markin is is the biggest one and sucks in. Like, those, are they going to just like, hey, we're winning too many games, we're going to dump those guys? Like, it doesn't. It seems like no, nah, maybe they wouldn't do that. And the other thing, well, and know,
5: I and I think I think Vanderbilt's actually the inflection point because he's on such a cheap contract yeah. and he kind of helps out in in the team ways. And he, you know, he was a part of a very successful one last year with Minnesota. And so, if you're keeping two or three of those three guys. And you have a good coach and the team's playing hard. You do that. But there's an interesting kind of potential hybrid here, which is sell. And this is something I can imagine Danny Ainge doing where I wouldn't imagine everybody else (laughs) do it, which is sell high on the pieces that you can sell high on, but still keep enough around that you're relevant. And I mean, I think the Jazz, not only with how they played, but just, I mean, with the, the wins they've already logged they're going to be at, even if they sold some stuff up they're still going to be in the play in mix like and so a that means the incentive for tanking for like pushing all the way down is minima is reduced not minimized but also so like let's say you know like Malik Beasley hit 6 of 10 threes on Wednesday night maybe a team is interested in that non-guarantee i think it's technically team option for next year try to get a first round pick from Malik Beasley if you can get out of that Mike Connolly contract, if that's something that you want to do, or what, maybe you rehab Kelly Alinek, which would be so amazing. You rehab Linux enough that somebody else like wants him. You do that, those sorts of things, but that's not enough to like make your team straight up bad. And then you you work from there, but you're still you're still getting assets along the way. You're just not getting as many as we thought they would get.
4: Yeah, maybe I, I guess. But the biggest thing that they traded for and getting rid of Mitchell and Gobert was their own first round pick this year and then probably it's next true. year too next year it's top 10 protected but do you say hey we've got a pretty good team here like because they I, I just talked about this with christian Pelotier because obviously he was he's finished he wanted to talk about marketing and he asked me where i thought the jazz were going to end up and i was like if they keep this team together like they're, it could be like the sixth seed right and, and we'll see so sure. it, i mean i think they kind of are what they are it really the bigger question is just what are the rest of these teams in the west going to be that's the bigger question uh for that but i think you know it seemed like they're gonna be in the you know like a mid mid to high 40s win team something like that the way they're playing and they've already banked 10 wins mm. which, which really helps a lot Nate, would
5: that. there would there be any precedent for a team finishing top five in offense two consecutive years with the level of turnover that they had like that would be there because they're currently second yeah like that would be jaw that, dropping. that
4: is that's completely insane yeah I, I mean i would i would struggle to think of that uh yeah, I mean, a team that turned over that much. No, I, I can't think of, of what that would be. So, yeah, I guess uh, and maybe, you know, they've got like this worst of Houston, Brooklyn and Philly pick this year. You know, maybe they say, like, hey, we don't, we'll actually trade that for some reinforcements and just try to have a little better playoff run. I mean, I still think this team has too many weaknesses to win a playoff round. Uh, like they're just they've, there's so many places to attack on this team. And they also don't have that one high level creator either. But yeah, I don't I don't know what's gonna happen. I I think, but you know, that's like you sacrifice a pick in the twenties to get in like you know one more like good wing or starter. I mean, that's maybe you need to give more than that, or maybe a center that they believe in a little bit more or something. Uh, but they have really good depth, so it'd be hard necessarily to upgrade. So maybe they just kind of stick with this and and ride it out and see what happens. It's been a fun story, but it is you know John and I talked about this. This is kind of like 2014 Phoenix, 2021 Knicks, where The whole long-term plan may be getting short-circuited here, as good of a story as they are. Um, All right, did we answer I think we answered that question well enough. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because... We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz. And we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And now uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Every sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. that you came from us. Man, I just love. heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket even when it was cold outside. Things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly and American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium Slub Crew T, the No BS High Rise Pant, the slim rough neck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code cap space at checkout you remember we talk about cap space all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us Let's yeah. uh. So yeah, let's. Good.
5: Let's get to Hendrick. He's been waiting patiently.
4: <laughs> yes.
6: Eve. Yeah. Hi guys. Uh, happy Armistice, Armistice Day Eve.
4: Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I I started watching All Quiet on, on the Western Front, and I was like, I think this was two nights ago, and I was like, Holy shit, this is depressing. I'm not. I'm gonna just go watch some yeah. some YouTube two some two YouTube two videos two that no. AJ Griffin instead. <laughs>
6: Um so I, I I enjoyed the pod with um, Keith Smith and it's gotten me thinking about CBA and and possible tweaks and I haven't fully formulated my thoughts on it but I was wondering um seems to me like there's always teams like the Clippers teams that really want to spend they find a way to spend and they through various cap machinations you know and I know you guys love the creative cap machinations but I'm, I'm wondering if, like, for policy and for the good of the NBA, like, should it just be easier for teams just to spend up to the luxury tax or maybe even just set the cap at the luxury tax so that you don't have these situations where, you know, for example, um, like in Boston, Gordon Hayward, like, they don't want to resign him. It doesn't make sense to resign him, but they want to get that uh trade exception and so it all comes down to you know will the hornets give them one and it seems kind of arbitrary it's and um yeah just basically so to just be liberalized so that teams can spend more easily and uh, and not have to worry about pulling off those kind of
4: weird things that you guys love so this is a good chance to get into some cba minutiae and and henry probably knows this but just to continue the point here the only way that you are allowed to spend above the salary cap is via an exception. And there are 11 exceptions to the salary cap. We know so many of them, uh, even even a trade exception, right? Like th- that's one of them where e- even if you are making a trade and you are above the salary cap, you require a trade exception. It, most of the time it just gets used up immediately. Other times it's a non-simultaneous exception and it lasts longer if you're uh, sending out more salary than you're taking back. But, you know, so that's the mid-level exception. It's the minimum exception. It's a rookie scale exception. And so I guess what Henrik is proposing is just eliminate that until you get to the tax. And, you know, so that $25 million or so between the cap and the tax, that now you don't need an exception to spend in that. You can just spend whatever contract you want. Um, that's an interesting thought. And then so basically the cap and the tax is the exact same level. That's what you're saying, Henrik?
6: Pretty much, yeah.
4: Yeah, what do you think of that, Danny?
5: I think it's it's not something that I had I had really considered before. And I the margin continuing to grow between the cap and the tax create it, it creates an avenue. And and I, I think it could facilitate some spending. I also think there are some teams that use it as cover. But what so 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 basically what it would it would do is it would increase spending power for teams that had a little bit more that had a little bit more wiggle room. I I think of the Sacramento Kings in this boat where they don't really have cap space but they have room under the tax. Should Vivek be willing to spend it? Yeah, I mean it makes it, it makes things more flexible. But I I think. I think honestly things are plenty are pretty close to flexible. So I think maybe the idea of raising the cap or or like lo- lowering the margin between the two is an interesting idea, but I think having them be the same might be a little extreme. I'm not exactly sure why that's my inclination, but it is.
4: Well, the one thing that I think is kind of weird about the cap is this idea that okay, you have 10 million in room, so it makes more sense for you to just stay over, right? Whereas yeah, if you like this idea you can't combine exceptions, maybe that would be kind of a way to get to what Hendrik is talking about, where it's like, hey, if you have 10 million in room, then you lose your exceptions as well. Like, why can't you just say, all right, we have 10 million million in room, plus we have $10 million mid level exception, we can offer a guy 20 million, but it doesn't work that way. That's that's one of like the basic CBA things that Eric Pinkus always <laughs> is tweeting about because people ask him that. Uh
5: well, and does that and Nate, does that hard cap you? <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh well, if you use the mid level, it would so in any event, yeah, I think that would be I think that would be good, good for players for sure, because you always get into this situation with, say, PJ Tucker, for example, where it's like, okay, most of these teams are over the cap, particularly teams that are good and so that are looking to acquire like good veteran players. These, you know, the San Antonio Spurs aren't interested in signing PJ Tucker. So for someone like that other than a complex sign and trade, to be able to get more than just the mid-level and get, you know, 14, 15 million, which to me is kind of like what P.J. Tucker deserves. And maybe maybe even that he could get, you know, two years, 30 million instead of three years, 30 million. And so then you wouldn't have to give out as long of contracts. Like, I think that would be good for players because so often if you're not a guy that a team is using cap space on, or if you're, let's say you're Colin Sexton who's another one where, you know, if you can be 5 million below the cap, you could so a team could have offered him 15 million a year in restricted free agency and it was only this mitchell thing that like bailed him out to get him the contract that he probably deserved the downside of course is just teams don't want to have to pay that much right like the average team if it spends right up to the tax is gonna they're gonna lose money and so it's it looks bad to just not use cap room and save money and then you would also have to change the minimum team salary too i guess the minimum team salary would still be where it is at 90 percent of the present cap it's interesting i don't think anyone would go for it uh i it's probably bad for business because it would make things less complicated and that obviously you know that's that's the big appeal for us to be able to explain that stuff to you guys um was there any any other reason that you liked the idea henrik
6: well, another thing is just, like, maybe, and I'm not 100% sure this is true, I haven't thought about everything that this would cause, but, like, the bird rights trap is always something that annoys me, kind of. Like, the Bulls are, are going to be in it this uh, summer with Vucevic. They'll, they'll have about $10 million if they don't re-sign him and Kobe White, and, like, that's not going to be enough to get a, a good starting center. But Vuce is pretty old, and... I'm just sick of watching him and so like it would be nice if they yeah. could go out and maybe get someone else but um you know it's just there's really not a way but but if they could just spend up to the tax they probably could get uh you know another starting center who maybe um is younger you know that brings different things
4: yeah i think the biggest reason i wouldn't like it is it would increase the gap between the haves and the have nots where just it would be easier for teams that are really trying to win to increase their team salary. Some teams wouldn't want to be going up to the tax every year. So you'd still see a lot of teams that, you know, using a lot less than other teams. So because of the cap, it's just, and, and the tax, it's just harder to have like that big of a difference between most teams, unless except for these ones that go like crazy into the tax. And now I think you would see there'd be more of a difference if you can just freely spend, um, And So, but I, I agree with you. I mean, the bird rights trap, like that's kind of, that's kind of difficult, but then the opposite of the bird rights trap is, well, Hey, if your current team doesn't really want to pay you, then there's nowhere else to go. Right. And so, uh, no, I, it's a, I think it's a really creative idea. I think it's interesting. And, you know, it also just kind of generally brings you a little bit closer to like a hard cap idea as well, which maybe that might be a way to kind of start moving in that direction for the owners. Um, I am interested if you guys in the comments think, uh, want to let us know what you think of that one. Uh, let's do another one from the comments thanks, here. Babe. Uh, if we can't, sorry. Any, anything else for, for either of you guys on that one? Okay. Nope. Thanks. Thanks. Take thanks, care. Andrew. That was great. Uh, let's get to this one from the comments here. Better prime player, Chauncey Billups or Tony Parker?
5: That'll be more your department because that was as I was kind of getting into the league. So, I was uh, oh yeah, why honest? didn't
4: you didn't you didn't call in uh, to Rick Barry asking that question in two thousand four? No, I'm gonna go with Billups, and I think he was the sturdier defender. He had more defensive versus Lily. I thought that Parker really not a great defensive player. He benefited from everyone else on the Spurs being really good. He was just a little bit slight in a different system he maybe could have been taken more advantage of defensively, whereas Billups was a rock and Parker. Also the other problem, despite Chip Englund having this great reputation, Parker never really embraced the three pointer. Like he would take him if he was wide, wide open, but Chauncey Billups, just the, the fit, I think he would have fit on more teams. He, yeah, as, as, uh, Steve Celtics is pointing out, I guess I shouldn't say the team name. Steve is pointing out in the comments, that he had, like, really good efficiency, even though his field goal shooting wasn't great. And, yeah, just the the number of threes he would take, he could get into the post, too. Um, so yeah, I I would say I probably would prefer Bur- Billups. Maybe you could say that Parker was a little bit harder to, like, stop individually at times as a pick-and-roll player. But, yeah, I think Billups would be the one who would just be a better fit on more teams, to me. Uh, Corey asks, Will Hollinger eventually participate in these? Yeah, I think I'm going to try to get him to come in we'll, we'll do a, a few of our like Hollinger and Duncans as this I'll just I obviously gotta get them up on the tech which uh I showed you how good I am at that already today uh ready for another caller Danny
5: yeah let's do it T-Money you are on the air
2: hey guys how's it going
4: good good to have you on so is this uh first time for you as well or, or were you on the uh Spotify ones
2: yeah, so up top, I'll just say uh, i have never called in before, but I'm longtime listener since like 2015. Nice, so. nice
4: bucks here. Yeah. <laughs> <It> was, uh...
2: <laughs> I will say up top, I remember like uh, one of the first memories I have of the pod is um, that Steph half court game time to- game winning three like in OT yeah. in 2016. The greatest regular Thunder. season game of all time. Yes, I, I would agree. So, like waking up in the morning and like listening to an hour podcast about it, I was like, "Oh, this is major. This is a game changer. Basketball right here." So
4: awesome. Well, yeah. Do you do you remember how you <laughs> so, found the podcast originally? I always I'm curious about that because you know neither of us really like working for mainstream outlets.
2: Right. No, I don't remember actually. I I would assume Twitter, but but I'm not sure.
4: Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, so what's your question?
2: Uh, question being, um, I will just say, as another Chicago guy here, um, kind of got thinking this morning on like a big picture thing, and I can try to be not so long-winded about this, but um, I was trying to remember like when I originally got into the NBA, um, and thinking about it, it was like a few years later than I had other sports, and I was kind of wondering, like, okay, why was that? Um, and then it occurred to me of how bad the Bulls were um, during like formative years. Yeah. So I was too young f- for the Jordan era um, and and so then started getting into sports basically like right after that, unfortunately. Um, so then I looked at the basketball reference page for those Bulls teams and uh, pretty bleak stuff <laughs> for like the next five years after Jordan. Um, I think one year they won 15 games, uh, leave like Oh two, um, they topped out at 30 wins during that five year stretch um so i'm like okay so that's why the bulls were completely irrelevant during that time i remember it that way too like oh yeah obviously nobody was talking no, about them i would remember
4: i was really excited about them the O three O four season i'd like just moved into my first apartment in chicago it was the last year that i lived there before i went to law school and like my roommate wanted to watch some like stupid show i was like no fuck off like i, I need to watch this bulls opener and I think they got—they must have got smashed by like forty. That was like the year they brought back Scottie Pippen, and it was like Eddie Curry had led the league in field goal percentage the year before. And I was like, oh yeah, like I didn't understand that Eddie Curry like sucked on defense at the time. And I was like, oh yeah, he's gonna like post up, like kill people, and like Jamal Crawford is gonna be really awesome. And you know, I get like, I think that was the Jay Williams. Oh no, no, Jay Williams actually had the the injury that off season, but I was still like really fired up about the team and then they just laid a complete egg and it was they were, they were terrible that Nate,
5: Nate do you do you want to know the the, st- the stats on that so uh, assuming your oh, memory is correct that the was game? a game the game that so the October 29th 2003 the Washington Wizards defeated the Chicago Bulls 99 to 74 <laughs> yeah.
4: Wow, I really did remember it pretty well then
5: the the, Bull, the bulls as a team had 39% true shooting um <laughs> their leading scorer was Jalen rose with 15 points on five of 13 yeah the the fucking
4: brad miller and ron artest for Jalen rose god what a terrible trade that was
5: (laughs) and then and then the leading scorer in the game was larry hughes for the wizards had 20 um i think that was probably around the same era as my favorite url in the history of the world Com, which i believe still exists um, I, I, at one point I thought about buying it again, but that was like a, one of my friends and I were obsessed with that. And just quickly on T money's quest on, on T money's kind of thought process, I've long theorized that that's a part of why I didn't become a basketball fan early on too. Part of it is that my dad's from Montreal and is a hockey fan and still doesn't particularly like basketball that much. But another part of it was like the local team was generally awful. And like something that I wrote about a little bit in my book on the Warriors history is like the good times when I was young were so short lived like run TMC was together for a year and a half. Yeah. And so even, even if I had like the time that it would have taken to sell me on it by that point guys were gone. And so, and they were the worst, you know, one of the worst owned teams in the league, typically one of the worst run teams in the league. And so that isn't always how I connected with sports. Like, I mean, Ken Griffey jr. Was my favorite baseball player, even though he never played in the Bay area, but It's still harder. And so, especially when it's a sport that my family didn't watch, other than my grandpa watching Bill Russell at USF, it was not exactly easy for me to get into it.
4: Uh, Nate G sadly reports that, uh, hey, Larry Hughes, please stop taking so many bad shots.com no longer exists. So if if you want it. Uh,
5: I might buy it uh (laughs) just like just like i bought all those basketball reference pages years ago and then now i still have a bunch of them by the way people can look around i still have a bunch of them because what happened is they stopped doing sponsorships so they let the ones that are on there stay there forever there are some real fun ones
4: um by the way how can we see how many uh speaker requests we have oh, oh it's up in the upper right yes okay, cool. it's
5: the little it's the little hand thing up top all right, all right. so we have two beyond we have two beyond the ming king who was already in
4: okay yeah let, let's bring him in thanks thanks for that uh trip down memory memory lane the like most depressing season opener uh in history is good uh good to go back to that on my sony 27 inch like tube tv uh watching that one um but yeah let's uh let's see here if you guys few more people want to jump in on the speaker request i think we'll try to go lightning round we got maybe like call it like 20 minutes left or so here anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tucks from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well, I felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything blazers, pants, woundswear, outerwear designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from, European wools, linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code cap space our cap space we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of $399 or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that cap space code to let them know that you came from us
1: It's time to stop making excuses. The peace of mind you get after a colonoscopy is worth it. It's the best way to prevent and detect one of the deadliest cancers. In fact, your doctor can remove precancerous polyps during the procedure if necessary. That's right, before it even turns to cancer. No buts about it. Get a colonoscopy at 45 and follow up every 10 years or as recommended by your doctor. Find a location or schedule now at avera.org slash colon. So the Ming King, what do you got? Hey guys, um, I'm watching the the Timberwolves and trying to figure out whether this is wh- whether their early season struggles are just like a personnel kind of gelling issue, or if there's like a coaching problem going on. Um, do you have a take on kind of why why it's just not working?
5: Preliminarily, I think it's both. I think that uh, Kevin Pelton did a good piece for those who have ESPN Plus kind of talking through the big additions for the for the Wolves for the Hawks and for the, the Cavs. And so like one of the p- points that he brought up is like Karl-Anthony Towns efficiency when Gobert has been on the four has been horrendous. Yeah. And a part of that is that he's shooting he's shooting 20 percent on threes in those. Minutes. Yeah, he's and, got like, Al Horford,
4: Joel and Bede disease.
5: Exactly. So, like, those sorts of things, you expect some of that to work out, though I will firmly admit my mistake thinking that integrating Rudy Gobert, considering he's functionally offensively replacing Jared Vanderbilt, wouldn't be that big of a deal. Like, I underappreciated Jared Vanderbilt's ability to move the ball and just the space that he occupied and the activity that Vanderbilt had offensively. Like, I I just had that wrong. Like, that is something that I missed as an analyst. And so you have that. But then you also have all this other weird stuff. Like, I mean, we were all... Uh, like stressed about the the vibes being bad in in phoenix but there's been a lot of that stuff and i think the d'angelo russell not coming not subbing in correctly thing is going to be overblown mostly because it was so weird and pretty funny but i mean they're they're just the lack of execution and hustle and like we did that we did a gamer on that loss that they had to the spurs the first of the of the troika and i just thought they were getting beat effort for effort reasons and so whether that's you know like obviously coaching is a part of that but some of that is also like the players actually caring and so i think it's both and it being both concerns me a lot more so this
4: is interesting
1: danny yeah i was yeah. Kind of oh, sorry go ahead oh, go ahead okay. yeah it's just, i think on paper a lot of us were expecting for dilo and and gobert to be able to have at least some sort of chemistry in the pick and roll and it's it seemed apparent so far that that hasn't been developing and then dilo's kind of just not playing well in almost every facet of this game. Uh, and I'm wondering if that, if that is something that even a coaching change can address, like, is it just, he has to get his mind right or is just, yeah, I don't
5: know. Yeah. I don't know. On that yeah, point. I, ahead, I, to well, so quickly, um, I, I mentioned this in the last time we did the wolves into 15 and 60, because I've been interested in this. Minnesota has a one Oh one six offensive rating, which is horrendous in the Russell Gobert minutes so far. And A part of that is that they can't make any threes. Like, they're below 30% on threes in those minutes. But, like, yeah, I I hope that was going to be a lot better. And I don't get—I get very little satisfaction out of being kind of right when I'm negative on a player. And I don't think that D'Angelo Russell is going to be this terrible for the rest of the year. But the idea that— they were kind of, with, with the way that the front office structured everything, it kind of seemed like if it's not D'Angelo Russell, it's going to be a lot harder to get the other player f- who fits in with Edwards and Towns and Gobert. And yeah, that that basically, they, that the idea that being proactive was better than being reactive there because of cap space and a few other things. And that's so far pretty salient.
4: So a few things that are, are pretty interesting. I, I think the defense, it's kind of about where I thought it was going to be. They're 15th. They suck when Towns is on without Gobert. When Gobert's on the floor, they've been protecting the rim pretty well. Like, I think they're going to be, you know, kind of in that 10 to 15 range. Uh, that seems like where they're going to be. They're not forcing any turnovers, that which they were last year, but they're playing a different style now. Uh, you know, they've lost some of the guys who were pretty good. Um, this is fascinating, Danny. They are actually second in the NBA in two-point percentage right now, shooting 57% on twos. They are 27th shooting threes 32 and a half percent that's actually gone up a little bit and the three point attempt rate is getting a little bit better now that's 13th in the league i still i mean the biggest reason why i was like all right let's slow our roll on these guys a little bit was i thought that they really were going to miss some of these supplementary guys that they gave up and that would lose some of their running identity they still are running pretty well they're third in pace in the nba i haven't looked at their transition stats but overall they're pretty fast and uh then the other issue, though, is, you know, like Malik Beasley, I thought it was just a hugely important player for them, just running on their bench, getting shots off. I think, you know, Beverly was was important for them. I think, you know, Ant's kind of easing into the season, uh, sh- shall we say. He hasn't been great so far either. And then Russell is shooting really poorly. So I think they're going to shoot better from three point range. They're not going to be 27th in the NBA, uh, but they also don't have that one like awesome shooter right now either and they've got some guys who are just like not taking a lot of threes or are pretty bad but like russell's getting a little better jalen newell is getting a little better over these last couple of games and the other thing is just like jalen mcdaniel or jane McDaniel's is just like not taking any threes which is really weird like i don't know whether they're he's passing up shots or they're not getting them for him
5: oh and by the way that's the other that was the other kind of bet in some ways that the wolves front office made was it was mcdaniel's and russell because you know, I mean, they, they just didn't have a ton of other resources outside of it. But, like, you and I yeah. both didn't think Kyle Anderson could start for that. I,
4: I mean, I wonder if Danny Ainge would have accepted Russell rather than Beasley, Beverly, and Vanderbilt. I guess probably not. Or maybe they would have at least had to put Vanderbilt in there. But that that's an interesting what if. Because I think I probably would have.
5: Well, and, yeah. and there's there's a really interesting what if of in the long term, not just for this year, does that actually help both franchises in a weird way? Yeah,
4: yeah that's, I, I mean, or would they have been willing to swap Conley for Russell? Maybe that's still a trade that could happen uh, potentially, but the Wolves don't have a b- bunch left to to offer at this point. So, well,
5: yeah. and, and Conley's partially guaranteed, you know, I think it's like 12, 13 million. So you basically, you're probably committing as the Wolves to having him for the next. Right.
4: Season. No, you would be. I mean, that's kind of the idea is Utah gets off the money, even if they get a guy who's probably been worse this year. So I guess the biggest thing was I was like, hey, like these guys were second in offense last year after January 1st. So they're going to be if they do that again and you get Gobert to shore up the defense like that's how I was like, yeah, these guys could be a monster in the regular season this year. But it does seem like they're just not quite there offensively. But, you know, maybe if Russell shoots better. And maybe if Carl Anthony Towns can just find a way to play better, the problem is he just can't get to the rim when Gobert is out there. And so and he's you know, he's Carl Anthony Towns is gonna shoot better from three. Uh he's at thirty-six percent. Ant might shoot better from three. So like all these guys individually I think can play a little bit better, and Chris Finch, I trust him to figure it out, but I'm also I think I'm not sure if I've like quite seen enough. Like what is that guy's name? Dave Wasserman, the the politics guy. So yes. I've seen enough. Like, I'm not sure if I'm quite there yet on this idea of them, not for sure being like, you know, a really good top four seed in the West type of team that the offense can't get there, but I'm leaning in that direction, you know, another five games of this. And I'll feel like, okay, this team just doesn't have the offensive ceiling that we hope that they did. Okay. That was good. Let's get to sheed. Hey guys. Um, I guess,
3: I'm from Boston and so I'm a big Celtics fan and I was trying to take take a step back, you know, 10 to 12 games in and think about who I think, you know, I would feel most confident saying has the ability to win a title this year. And to me in the East, it's pretty simple with Milwaukee and Boston and, you know, maybe some other teams can come in the mix later. But in the West, I sort of found myself pretty confused. And I, I guess I would say I still think the Warriors and maybe the Clippers, if Kawhi can be healthy, would be my top two. But I guess... What are your thoughts on, you know, who are the five teams you think are most likely to potentially win a title this year?
5: It is kind of stunning that nobody in the West has really come out and dominated in the way that makes me significantly more confident in them. And part of that is because you could argue that the best team in the Western Conference so far has been the Phoenix Suns. And... There is basically nothing the Phoenix Suns can do right now that will make me significantly more confident in their playoff success. Like, well, well, maybe it, there's the, something
4: it, that the rest of the West could do, which would be to just suck. <laughs> the way they've yeah, I guess. To.
5: I guess that could be that could be the case. And like we talked about, like so, Utah has been very good, but but they have specific flaws. So like, I mean, and and a lot of the other teams, like the Clippers, most notably, have given me more reasons to be concerned than more reasons to like have calmed down my fears and so that that is notable as well yeah
4: clippers are like kind of starting to come around a little bit like uh, obviously it's I mean, all, they've had a nice, all I, i'm starting to believe i think they like george looks good if Kawhi gets back which again you know we've lowered our odds on that with this latest injury issue but if he gets back i might still be a believer in them
5: Yeah, I I think that's fair enough. And and the players looking older, like if they just start hitting more shots and everything else, I won't be nearly as fearful there. But yeah, like so it's the the teams that have the easiest theory of the case, and like I would say, you know, Denver has had some really good moments, but they haven't done, you know, that idea of like, oh, they're gonna be able to defend the best teams. Like that there I'm not there yet. I've liked what Contavious Caldwell Pope has given them. So I think they're probably in that conversation for like the second most confident team I am in the in, in the West to like have that kind of championship upside, uh, but like yeah, I mean it's it's a weird weird world out there.
4: I mean, are you out on Golden State? Would- oh no, Golden State's my one. Oh okay, okay, sorry, I'm sorry, I missed you. No, I it's, missed it's, you who, who, it's I was, who's my no- it's. I was scrolling yeah. through some stats while you were talking. So sorry, I missed that. Yeah. It,
5: it, it's happened. It, ha- it happens to both of us all the time.
4: Um, yeah, get, yeah go yeah, ahead, C. Be- what, what did you have there?
3: Yeah, say so to me, I was thinking about it, and I was like, if Cleveland was in the West, those they would be one of the teams. that would be like, oh, you know, maybe there really is a case if everyone else is sort of struggling that Cleveland can make it. And I think obviously, still they could potentially make it, but unfortunately for them, I think Boston and Milwaukee have sort of seemed the strongest case to me so far this year.
4: Yeah, well, Cleveland did beat Boston twice, but again, yeah, if, if once Rob Williams comes back, I think, and assuming that he can stay healthy and look the way he did, even close to what he did last year. I think the Celtics team is going to just be a complete monster. I mean, when you the number one offense already, and then add it to Rob coming back, and we talked about how I think some of their shooting luck is going to get back to the mean as well on defense. Yeah, I mean, I think Boston to me, I like Boston better than Milwaukee. I, I would say as of now, um, and we'll see see what the Bucks look like. Obviously, when Middle comes, Milton comes back too. Um, so yeah, so the well, and, so the question another- is top five championship odds right now to actually answer yeah. it yeah all right uh milwaukee so and I, Boston. I have three yeah go
5: ahead. and and the warriors and the warriors those are three okay i don't who are the other two oh,
4: i'll still throw the clippers in there i think uh and then who are who are the other candidates we'd say philly memphis again just getting zero pub uh, duh, 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 eight and four yeah. <laughs> like
5: Cl- cleveland denver
4: yeah uh you give new orleans any love No probably not defense too bad
5: I, I i'm not quite there yet i think they could be like a I, I wouldn't be surprised if they became like a second or third tier championship contender by the end of the year but i'm not all the way there just yet
4: i think i'll make memphis my number five yeah that's fair good question uh let's get a hama hamed hadadi iranian national team stalwarts
7: hey guys uh my name's actually alan uh i called in on the Spotify <laughs> a couple times but yeah i gotta pay for the legend, right?
4: definitely definitely
7: uh so no i was actually gonna talk about or ask y'all about something else but the uh the caller before me obviously uh brought up an interesting topic and i was kind of curious just on you mentioned it kind of the no pub deal but i was just curious i was a little bit higher than i think i think danny was uh had the under but i I believe you had the over for the grizzlies i was just kind of curious with the start that they had with jaron being out uh Obviously, the defense is, is pretty bad, but seeing the things that you've seen out of Bain, uh, LaRavia coming in and shooting above 50% as a rookie, um, and then kind of the, the cool thing, uh, I don't know if you guys mentioned it on the uh, the Boston uh, broadcast that y'all did, but Santi Aldama's been been pretty good, but he's still shooting under, he's shooting like 29% from three, and a lot of knocks of Jaron was his three-point percentage uh, recently, but he shot better than 29% his whole career. Uh, so obviously that will be a, a big positive going forward. And then curious kind of on the the Dylan Brooks situation, obviously he's, I kind of look at it as a positive because he's in being a free agent this year. He kind of has to conform into what the Grizzlies need. Um, and his plus minus has been really good, despite him still taking some, some pretty bad shots. So just curious on kind of where you, where you saw the Grizzlies at the end of the year, uh, with Jaren being out all year so far, 538 still has them at, I think, a 21% chance of making the finals, which is the second highest in the West. Um, so just just kind of curious on y'all's thoughts of of why there's there's not much talk there.
4: Yeah, I just uh, I don't really understand it, to be honest, uh, particularly given the massive struggles of some of the other teams that they're competing against. Like, they're doing, with Jaren out, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. John Morant is as looks to have taken a, another leap forward as a shooter. He won't shoot 45% on threes all season and Bain won't shoot 46% on threes all season, but both those guys look to be as good or better than they have been. And I think they can, if they need to, they can fortify their bench, although I don't know if they will do that, but then obviously getting back uh, the likes of Jaron and hopefully Zaire Williams will do that on its own. And so the David Roddy minutes, uh, yeah so finishing up on memphis really uh, (laughs) other than their bench i see no reason to be down on them like i think they're a very good bet to finish with the best record in the west right now they probably would be my pick i would say anything you want to say on crazy world danny
7: (laughs) no thank you guys
4: yeah thanks for bearing with us uh, on the tech issues and how are we doing we are almost out of requests it, it looks like so we can take a couple from the chat and then we can wrap up here
5: Well, we basically just covered this one from Games GTD of who's the best team in the West. And I mean, I I still, if I had to pick a team to win the West, it would be the Warriors. But I think the Grizzlies have been, I mean, and the Phoenix has been there so far. But if I were to say, you know, I think Memphis kind of gets the honorable mention. They're number, probably number two in both of those measures of who's been the best so far and who who has the best chance of coming out.
4: All right, let's let's close on this question from the chat. Blackrook, who is the MVP after the first 10-ish games?
5: It's a strong field. For sure. I mean, Luca, the volume that Luca has offensively is completely ludicrous. I mean, he has his usage rate is about 40%, which is wild. Like, Giannis is at 38 and Luca is well above that. And he's been efficient despite not making any threes at all this year. So I think even if it's a little bit kind of weird, Luca is the most valuable offensive player. And then, I mean, so Giannis is probably to me the other like clear candidate because the other thing that Giannis does is he's a better defender than Luca has been so far. And so off the cuff, those are probably my top two. I I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Giannis one. I, you know I'm a Giannis stan. This is without doing the research we will do when we do an awards pod.
4: Yeah. So Luca. I mean, there have been a lot of guys who have been absolute monsters so far. We gotta. If if we're gonna do this, we got to at least go through all of them. You know, Luca and Giannis are up there. I mean, Steph Curry is having a ridiculous start to the year. You know, and yeah, the Warriors have sucked, but that hasn't been his fault. You know, he's got 69% true shooting on 31 usage, and he also like never turns it over anymore either. Um, Jokic, I think, has been a little bit below his usual level with b- being lower usage. Shea Gildress Alexander is probably mm-hmm. in this conversation. I mean, Jason Tatum has to be in this conversation. Kevin Durant, especially well. after the last
5: two, couple games, he's in there too.
4: Yeah, no, I think that's right. Jaw's fallen off just a little bit, probably doesn't have quite the same statistical resume. You know Donovan Mitchell is 65 true shooting right now too. You know, so I think part of it you just as with this sample size you also have to go back. Um, I I think that Luca, Giannis, and Steph to me uh, have uh, been the three best players in the league so far. Um, but Steph, it's hard to give it to him with the. Uh, I mean, I think you got to go Giannis with them being ten and one with the guys that they have out 38 percent usage. And he's obviously a huge part of their number one defense. That's like three points per hundred better than anyone else. And I'm sure when we break into the on/off more closely, we'll we'll have a different approach. Um, you know, and again, Tatum really like. There's just some of these stat lines. It's just hard to say. Like, well, why isn't Tatum the MVP? Right? Like, this is, these are just incredible numbers. And you got to say, well, I guess you know, Giannis has more of a track record. I can't look at that as a tiebreaker. So yeah, I think my guess would be that i'm gonna say Giannis. when uh you know it, when we deal dig into it a little bit further but that won't be for another half a month or so so that'll be uh that'll be an interesting one for sure this uh, awards particularly with everyone so close together is going to be interesting uh all right this was awesome thanks so much uh for joining people we, we really appreciate the great questions and this will be out of course uh, as a podcast you didn't get a chance to listen to the whole thing Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you all next time.
2: I'm what you might call very good at hide and seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite. Ha, found you. How? you left to find
1: my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.